Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. If you listen to any of the podcasts, we say the same thing every time. I was going to be different, but every single beginning of the podcast says, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the, on the Mount, so I'm sorry about that. But that's what we're doing. Uh, my assumption is this morning that many of you in this room are followers of Jesus. And with that, as we're learning to follow him, our lives must be conformed and transformed into his image. We must be conformed to his will and to his behavior. And the way that we know how to do that as our knowledge increases of him and what he desires of us, when we study his word, when we study his teachings, then we can walk in the manner that he desires for us to walk. You cannot, as a follower of Jesus, one who has confessed Christ as Lord of your life, you cannot decide on your own how to live where to go, what to say. You must be following the will of your Savior. And so because of that, Christ teaches us or preaches to us in the Sermon on the Mount on what behavior looks like in his kingdom. David and I just returned from another kingdom where behavior looks different than behavior in southeastern New Mexico. Culture is different uh, things that you say are different. Hands that you use are different. Who you shake hands with is different. Who you greet, how you greet, things are different in that kingdom. We have to change for even a short time, change the way that we uh, live life in that particular kingdom. Change the way we greet, uh, change the way we, uh, what our vision is focused upon, those types of things. It's, it's the same in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom that belongs to Christ. Our behaviors change. Our culture shifts. We're, we're no longer being shaped by the, by the old life, but instead being reborn into a new life and being transformed into the likeness of, of our king. We begin to conform our life in accordance to the way he desires for us to live. When you confess Christ as Lord of your life, you're making the choice to live according to the Lord's will. So the center of the Sermon on the Mount is that, that statement, Thy will be done. Not your will be done or my will be done, but God's will be done in our lives. How often, though, do we pray, and we've said it a number of times during this sermon series, how often do we pray, instead of thy will be done, Lord, my will be done? Uh, well, you understand, God, that you know all things, that you have all wisdom, that you have all power, that you rule over all, that Christ is uh, over all, in all, and through all, that he created all things. We understand all that, that you're the greatest and most supreme over all. But, Lord, for a moment, for this short momentary life that I have, I want to be in control. And so please, Lord Jesus, my will be done. It's not what the kingdom is about. And so we enter into verses 12, 13, and 14 here that really could be split up into two different sermons. But we're going to tie them in together. We're going to leave them together in the section that, uh, that our Bible uh, people have put together here. And we're going to... Uh, to to shape them or to see how they're shaped into what it looks like to have a life conforming to the kingdom of God and not your own kingdom. 
Verse 12 says this of Matthew chapter 7. Verse 12 says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So I don't know if you remember back many months ago when we studied Matthew chapter 5. You can just turn back there for a second. Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20. I want to reference this. Matthew 5, 17 through 20 as you're taking notes. And Matthew 7 verse 12 are some bookends into, in, in, into a part of this sermon. So Matthew 5, 17 through 20 begins some statements that Jesus is making. And Matthew 7, verse 12 kind of ends some statements that Jesus is making. And the bookends to this section are based around who is summing up or who is fulfilling the law and the prophets. Well, Matthew 5, 17 through 20 says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Remember, remind yourself, who is speaking these words? Jesus is the one speaking these words, and he is saying that he has come not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Christ is making this first statement here as his first bookend to this section that he's preaching that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets i mean basically what we're saying is christ is the christ and his kingdom are the fulfillment of the law and the prophets there is nothing else to fulfill it he is it we're constantly like we said a couple of weeks ago we're constantly searching for the next great thing uh, constantly searching for the next great nugget to hold on to like I'm going to find the next great treasure or revelation. Like God is going to share with me and me alone this next revelation that I'm going to teach the world something greater than he's already taught us. I'm going to teach you that there is something greater than Jesus. But that is not the case. May, may I remind you that that is what led many cults and, and other religions to begin. Oh, if I just knew more. I'm going to go out in the desert and I'm going to find more. I'm going to find something else besides Jesus. Jesus can't be it. There's got to be something more. And you would never equate yourself with Joseph Smith or Muhammad. You would never say, I'm just like them. But how often do you find yourself searching for something more than Jesus? When Jesus is saying, he is it. His kingdom is it. Yet we search and we search and we search and we, we, we plug away every day. Plowing and plowing and working and working, thinking that we're going to find the next greatest thing. And Jesus is saying, I am it. And then in this section where he teaches on, he teaches on anger and he teaches on lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation and love for the enemy. He teaches about what it looks like to be a righteous giver, what it, what it looks like to be a righteous one who's praying and what it looks like to, to lay up treasures in heaven and fast correctly, what it looks like not to be anxious and what what it looks like not to judge, and as Zach preached last week, what it looks like to actually ask like followers of Jesus Jesus should be asking. And he sums all that up with a book in at the end here, and he says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the sum, or this is the law and the prophets. Christ, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, teaching his kingdom how to behave, conforming to his behavior, and then summing it up with, so so as kingdom-minded 
Christ-centered, thy-will-be-done people, people who have confessed Christ as Lord, you will treat others as I have taught you to be treating others. Think for a moment in your own life, what is it that's shaping your actions? Or maybe you've moved to a point in your life where you think that you've already been shaped, that no longer are you being shaped, you're in the shape that you're going to be. Well, this is it. This is who I'm going to be. If that's the case, then what is it that has shaped your actions? What is it that has shaped or is shaping your life? What is it that's motivating you to do the things that you are doing? Why do you love? Why do you give? Why do you not steal? Why do you not murder? Why do you not have an abortion? Why are you not divorcing? What are those things that are motivating you not to do those things? And the culture David and I just returned from, like many other cultures across the world, uh, their motivation is not a good motivation. We, well, you don't steal because if, if, if you steal, uh, there's, there's punishment for that. Well, you don't murder because if, if I murder, there's, there's punishment for that. I have no freedom. I can't freely murder someone because if I murder someone, then I'm, I'm going to be punished. If I steal something, I'm going to be punished. Christ is saying in his kingdom, we're not motivated by a negative effect, but instead we recognize who our king is and what he's done for us, what he's doing for us, what he's going to do for us. And in that, with this positive effect, I love the fact that Christ loves me, so I love. I love the fact that Christ gave his life for me, so I give. I love the fact that Christ appreciates me, and so I appreciate others. We have to switch our whole mindset, reframe it into the frame of the kingdom of heaven, reframe our lives in accordance to who Christ is instead of who you are. But as we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, I get the feeling often that many of you have heard these words a number of times. And like I saw playing out uh, in several different countries as we flew from place to place to place, and you have to go through security line and security line and security line, I found I find that we often think these things do not pertain to us. There's a guy over there saying things, and I can understand him, and he's saying these things, but surely he's not talking, he's, surely he's not talking to me. And over and over and over again, like the security line at the airport, you hear the security officer saying, are you not listening? Are you not listening to me? Are you not listening to me? I just gave you the instructions. Are you not listening to me? I think that's Christ begging us. Listen to me. This is what kingdom life looks like. This is what your life, if you've confessed Christ as Lord, this is what your life should be about. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Literally, everything or whatsoever, everything that you wish, do to them. Treat them the same way. I love what D.A. Carson says. He says, our motive for acting or living this way is not to get what we want. Like you've been taught, and I've been taught, honesty pays. Instead, the reason we are to do to others what we would like others to do to us is that such behavior sums up the law and the prophets. When you begin treating people as Christ has treated you, and you begin treating other people that way, they see a radical difference. They see your motives. Years of student ministry taught me this. 
Students can see right through you. What's the gimmick? What's the plug? What are you trying to sell me? Are you just throwing out a lure there to catch me? And then after you catch me, you're going to switch up things? Or are you genuinely loving me for who I, for who I am? What is it that's motivating you to treat others as you want to be treated? You know, James talks about this in a church gathering. In James chapter 2, he talks about a gathering of people, or he calls it an assembly. When visitors come into the assembly, new people begin to join the church or come into the church gathering. And he says, it's interesting how you begin to divide and choose who should sit where they should sit. The rich person comes in and you recognize the richness. And so you say, please come here, have my seat, sit here, sit in this place of royalty. The poor person comes in and you recognize their poorness, the way they smell, the way they dress, the way they look. And you say, oh, how about you go sit back over there away from everyone else? This doesn't model the behavior of the kingdom. This models the behavior of your kingdom. Not the kingdom that belongs to Christ, but the kingdom that belongs to you. Christ is saying in his kingdom, life will be drastically different. It's difficult. You've grown up in a culture that teaches you different than what Christ teaches you. Even in the great Christian America that we live in, you're still taught differently. Things have been diluted. What Christ desires of you has been washed away. And the reason it has been washed away is the very thing that Christ says in verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. How often are you influenced by the masses? Well, everyone seems to be going this way. So I'm going to go this way also. Hardly anyone's going this way. So surely he's wrong. She's wrong. They have to be wrong. They're by themselves. That way looks difficult. I don't want to go that way. This way looks easy and And plus, everyone else is going this way. And over the years, what Christ has taught that his kingdom would look like has been diluted by the masses. And so we as followers of Jesus, people who have confessed Christ as Lord, have to be a people who are discerning, have to be a people who are asking Christ daily, Lord, give me knowledge, give me wisdom, so that I may live the way that you desire for me to live. Paul says it this way to the church in Colossae. He says this, I pray this. Since the day that we heard this, we have not stopped praying for you. And we are asking these things. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I'm going to step on your toes for a second. I would much rather you pray this for me than, Lord, keep Matt safe. Let me be filled with all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints and inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul's praying this for the church in Colossae because he recognizes that the way to life is narrow, there are few on it, and it is difficult. 
Christ sums up and fulfills the law and the prophets. Life is about him. Paul also writes to the church in Colossae saying that everything that's been created was created through Christ. That he is above all things. And if that is the case, then when we confess him, Lord, we say, change my behavior for your glory. Not so that I may benefit from it, but so that you may receive all the glory from every bit of my behavior. Let me walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that I have called Lord. Instead of living for my own kingdom, I become a person who's living for and only for the kingdom of God. Such behavior that Christ is calling us to, it conforms our life to the requirements of the kingdom of God. We're being transformed into his likeness. He's conquered death, removed sin, and so because of that, we live in accordance to his standards. Not motivated by what we may get, but understanding what we already have. If you've confessed Christ as Lord, and Christ has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west, and you've been adopted into his family, the blessed life, as we talked about in Matthew chapter 5, is knowing who your Savior is. Remember Paul saying in Philippians, I counted all rubbish compared to knowing who my Savior is. The blessed life is not the country you live in. The blessed life is the Savior you have. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the sum of the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. When Christ is speaking here, if we were there on that mountainside, a part of that culture, maybe having a lot of Jewish roots in us, we would hear something from Deuteronomy. We would hear the Shema that Jesus is really referring to here. We would hear this uh, rabbi's teaching about what life should be summed up about. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. It's towards the beginning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 together. Jesus is referencing this in a way. He's leading us to these first and second greatest commandments. He says this in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess. So just as Christ is teaching the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, he's teaching these new disciples, these new followers. So Moses is given this word about what, it, what their kingdom, what the kingdom that belongs to God, will look like as they go into a new land. Verse 2 says this, that you, may he, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be with you, shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall uh, bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This new kingdom that God was establishing as Moses is the leader, going to take these rescued people, these ransomed people, these former slaves who have been freed by God, and place them in a, another land, but still representing his kingdom. And as you represent his kingdom, he said, these are the things that you will be about. Here's what's most important in the kingdom that belongs to God. As ransomed, rescued people. As people who were slaves to sin, yet now have been set free. Christ is imploring to us that we live differently. That as he has established his kingdom, so our behavior changes in his kingdom. The call is great. The transformation must happen. We can no longer be shaped by our culture. We must be shaped by Christ. We can no longer be satisfied with the way that we live because it's the way the masses agree to, but instead we must be shaped by our Savior. Our life must be shaped by Him. Our behavior must be shaped by Him. Back to Matthew chapter 7. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This book into all these behaviors that he's been talking about. This is how you fast. This is how you give. This is how you pray. This is how you ask. This is how you judge. All these things that he's been talking about. This is how you uh, deal with anger. This is how you deal with anxiety. All these things that he's been talking about says, treat others like Christ has treated, has treated you. But remember, this will not be easy. The verses from Matthew 21, or 5, 21 through Matthew 7, uh, verse 11 are completely impossible for you to do on your own. Jesus reminds us in John chapter 15 that you can do nothing if you're not abiding in him, dwelling in him. You cannot have the behaviors of the kingdom if you try and do them on your own. You must be empowered with the Holy Spirit indwelling or living inside of you for you to perform these behaviors. As long as you try and be independent from God, you try and live the independent life that we've been uh, indoctrinated with, you will not Bring glory to the Father because your behavior will not match what Christ wants. But when you begin to learn how to be shaped by Him and Him alone, how to grow in dependence upon Him, begging Him daily, Lord, I cannot without You. I have no wisdom without You. I have no knowledge without You. I cannot handle anger rightly or in a righteous way. I cannot deal with lust in a righteous way. I cannot deal with anxiety in a righteous, holy way that's going to bring you glory and honor. It's impossible for me to do on my own. And so I'm begging you, God, with the power of your Holy Spirit, please, so that you may receive glory and honor. Let my life be lived by you. And Christ, when he ends this simple statement about the golden rule and he begins talking about these gates, and these paths, 
He's quick to let us know how difficult it will be. One of the questions for Sunday school next week is why is it that we're so drawn to comfort and ease as people who belong to Jesus? And he's our model. He's our example. Matthew 24 says, expect many trials. Expect much persecution. Expect much hardship, yet endure. And when this gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed throughout all the world to every nation, then the end will come. See, we think the end of abortion will be when we stand up and vote it down. We think the end to murder will be when we stand up and vote it down. We think that the end to gossip will be when we stand up and stand against it. I'm going to stand against these things. I'm going to vote against them. I'm going to put somebody in the place so that we can get these things away from here. We think that slavery was abolished at one point. Those things will never end as long as Christ is not reigning on this earth. But when we, as people belonging to him, make him and his kingdom famous, and our life about his sacrifice, our life about his life, he begins reigning on this world, and then the end will come. When the gospel is proclaimed, when the good news of Jesus is proclaimed to the whole world, then the end will come. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Faithful saint, Christian, follower of Jesus, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you say, Lord, give me an easy day, and then you walk through the easy day and you see a number of people with you, whew, this is a great day. It's been easy. Remind yourself of these words. Faithful saint, follower of Jesus, when your day is difficult because you're striving to match or model your behavior because of our Savior, and you're treating others as Christ has treated you, Christ has extended love to you, and so you love others, yet you're not receiving it back. You, you know who your reward is. Your reward is Jesus. And so as the day begins to draw weary and begins to get difficult and you feel confined, remember that the calling of Jesus is a confining calling. Paul says that the love of Christ compels us. It's like putting, a, 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 putting cattle in the chute, squeezing them down. The love of Christ compels us, squeezes us down, conforms us into his image, transforms us into his likeness so that his kingdom may be on display, so that his sacrifice, his love may be on display for the world to see. You and I cannot save. We cannot save the world. The words that we say, the actions that we do cannot save the world. We are not the bookend. We are not the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Christ is. And so as he shapes you and confines you and compels you into his image and conforms you into his image, let him be glorified. Endure through the hard times. Let him be glorified through all, through all times because he is worthy of that. What's in there? Lord Jesus, help us this morning. Should I say, just help me. 
I'll be selfish for a moment. Help me not to be distracted by things of this world. Help me not to seek comfort above Christ. Help me to see that I already have been blessed because you've adopted me and given me an inheritance. God, thank you for redemption. Thank you that I no longer have to live as a slave to sin. But instead you've forgiven me of that, though I'm not worthy of it. Instead you saw my weakness. And out of an out of a love that I cannot comprehend, God, you love me so much to save me. God, help us as a people belonging to you to live daily, being reminded of our need to be transformed into your image. God, help our motives to be about Christ, about his glory and his name being made famous. Help us to live in accordance to your kingdom, being changed by you. And God, as Hebrews 10.35 has told us, let us not give up, remembering that we have a great reward, and that reward is Jesus and the inheritance that he's given us. God, the day grows weary and the lack of laborers are many. God, help us to be a people who are about proclaiming your gospel to the entire world. God, let us be reminded of the sacrifice and the saving grace of Jesus. God, us Help us to see how faithful you are to your word. That you're willing to help us to endure until the end. As Brian reminded me this morning, Lord, as your servant David begged with you, Lord, restore the joy of salvation to our lives so that we may lead others to salvation. God, as we, many of us in this room, have been following you for a long time, God, help us to see that your mercy is new this morning. Help us to see that your word is useful for every moment of our life so that we may be equipped, thoroughly equipped, for the work that you have for us. God, as Paul wrote and prayed for the church in Colossae, we are asking that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will, that we might have all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that we may walk worthy of you, Lord, fully pleasing to you, and then bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of you, God. God, that you may be strengthening us with all your power, according to your glorious might so that we might have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to you, God, because you have enabled us. You've given to us an opportunity to share with the saints in the inheritance of the light. God, we know that you have rescued us from the domain of darkness 
and you've transferred us into your kingdom because of the Son who loves us. So God, we are so thankful again that you have redeemed us, that you have forgiven us of our sins. I pray this morning that those saints in the room this morning that have already confessed Christ as Lord, God, that you would stir in them a passion for you and for your kingdom above all other things. Again, God, that we would not seek comfort over Christ, but Christ would be it for us. And those in the room this morning, God, that you're drawing to you, you've been planting seeds in, they've been hearing the story of Jesus, the good news of salvation, God, I pray that you continue to work in their lives. God, that they may confess Christ as Lord, live according to your will. God, help us not to be people who respond just to our own desires, but instead help us to to be like Christ has taught us, to have an attitude that says, and a life that says, your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.